a Podcast One production. When we're able to self-coach, we can take all the things that we might have learned from a more formal coaching engagement or all the interactions we have on a daily basis and use those to shape and help support us towards our goal attainment. I'm Margie Hartley, executive coach to senior leaders around the globe, as well as 11 of the top ASX listed companies. And this is Fast Track. If success depends on our ability to coach others, what about coaching ourselves? As an executive coach, I really wanted to explore the questions can we coach ourselves? And if so, how do we do it? So to help me answer these, I've gone to the top and I've asked the Director of the Coaching Psychology Unit at the University of Sydney, Executive Coach and Pracademic, Dr Sean O'Connor. So Sean, what's your experience of self-coaching? Well, Margie, my experience of self-coaching actually comes before I began coaching. So my early experience around leadership was in working in a rather toxic environment, a toxic organisation, which I began to realise was shaping the type of leader that I was becoming. And for me, what that really told me, it told me that the experience you have on an everyday basis can really shape who you become. And if you're not careful about how you curate that, how you shape that experience, you might end up becoming someone you're not that friendly with. (laughs) Not so friendly with yourself. So we need to pay attention to that. So I'm a coach and you're a coach and we coach other people and it's like this other perspective that we give other people. So isn't this a great paradox, self-coaching? Yeah, it is. But the difference between self-coaching and I guess coaching others is we're always with ourselves. So that means the experience that we engage in is happening all around us. You can't help but be shaped by your environment. And the interactions you have on a daily basis are shaping who you're becoming and what you could become. And when we're able to self-coach, we can take all the things that we might have learned from a more formal coaching engagement or all the interactions we have on a daily basis and use those to shape and help support us towards our goal attainment. Without having that, really all that you have is a check-in period in which you're trying to achieve your goals or trying to push yourself forward An executive coach or a more formal coaching engagement can help with something like that. However, it's the iterative, the everyday, the little bits of change that make the difference for the longer term. So the process is actually something you're experiencing and learning and doing, but it can be repeated. That's right, yeah. So it's a life-changing thing. One thing I want to come back to that you said that I found fascinating was this idea of you're with yourself all the time. Mm. Might sound a bit basic, but I think it's profound. (laughs) Fancy that. We're with ourselves all the time. Yes. So the reason why I put it that way is that we often get caught up in our own minds. We're out in the world interacting with different environments and we can get busy in those environments and not pay attention to the important things that could be happening or the way we're making sense of the things that are happening to us and using them to shape how we perceive who we're becoming and what we're doing. So if we're paying attention to this and we're using self-coaching approaches, because really it's just about applying the psychology of coaching to how we're developing ourselves, how we're moving through the world. It's about shaping our context in a way to use 
all the science that we know about coaching to support us taking advantage of these happenstance interactions and these possibilities that occur every day. Now, if we're with ourselves every day and through a self-coaching process, we're able to apply some of the tools that coaching psychologists and researchers have identified work and help us to develop and are based on evidence-based practice, then we can tweak our experience so that we're looking at the world in a slightly different way. This means that we've got so much more to draw from to support who we want to become and how we want to change. Instead of just running around the rat race, hoping that we'll end up becoming who we want to be, we have to pay more specific attention through some of the philosophies and some of the um, scientific understandings that we have of change, and that can then enable us to use everything that we see to support our own growth, change, and development. So it starts with knowing who we want to become or who we choose to be. And you were talking about your story about a toxic environment Mm. that you're in. When did the realisation occur for you? So this would be very deep in your practice now and having had that experience, but when did that realisation come that you weren't being the person you wanted to be? So it took about four to five years for that realisation. I was working there for quite a long time, working crazy hours all the time with very little reward. And I just noticed that some of my behaviours started to mimic some of the leadership behaviours I'd seen within the environment at the top level. And these were very inappropriate, being nasty to people, all sorts of mean sort of behaviours. And it was almost like an epiphany. I had some time off. I was able to pull my head up out of the sand and have a look around and ask myself the question, What am I going to become if I keep behaving in this way? And it was only then when I started down the training around executive coaching and that type of thing a bit later on, when I started to look for a different form of leadership that could work rather than what I'd seen mimicked in this toxic environment. So it took quite a lot of pain in a way and some really considered reflection in order for me to see a way out of that experience for myself. Mm. I know that there's a lot of non-evidenced-based practice where people are Mm -hmm. promoting change. And in some ways, there seems that the push for change doesn't actually recognise the things that people cherish about themselves or think that is important to keep. So I just want to explore this idea of change, which Mm -hmm. we talk about a lot, and stability and nurturing and keeping certain aspects of ourselves stable. How do you view those two things? Yeah, so one way to think about that is this idea of self-concept or how we see ourselves. Some of us like to think that this is sort of embedded and it's already preordained in some way. But change is a part of our continual evolution. We're always changing. We're always adapting. It's just about the choices we make around how we hold on to that experience and what we do with it. So having a clear set of values that are broad enough to help you identify that aspect of stability and then working more carefully around how there can be exhibited through behaviour in different environments. For me, that seems to be the core around people identifying that stable part of themselves by still being open enough to change and adaptation, which is continual and surrounds us all the time. It just cannot be avoided. It's part of what being human is all about. Adapting, evolving, growing, it's one of our um, intrinsic needs, this need for growth and self-actualization. 
So if you look at the Instagram version of that, there'll be lots of ads that pop up and say you can be better, slimmer, fitter, cleverer, more interesting in a room, better negotiator, all of these things. Does it become overwhelming if we think about coaching ourselves to be better all Mm. the time? Yeah, so I think it's sort of a bit of a mind trap falling into that sort of deep hole of how the needs of others in the external world and how they might shape our perspective and what we want for ourselves. And this this is why self-reflection is so important and the ideas of the cycle of self-regulation. So if we're reflecting on ourselves and we know that when we're um, motivated, excited and engaged in things, that's usually quite an indicator of what's most important to us. Now, that doesn't mean that they have to stay the same all the time. They're shaped by the reflection that we have on them. What that means is that if we try something and we find that we like it, then we should think about doing more of it. If it doesn't hurt others, it helps us grow, develops a larger perspective than we have on ourselves, then we're already self-coaching. So I think it's very easy to be conditioned by the outside world. This doesn't necessarily mean that we have everything we need to know inside us already, but we do have the capability to find out what we need. This idea that we um, have this sort of intrinsic drive towards growth. That's sort of a human condition that allows us to seek out newness, seek out new ways to do things, find solutions to problems that we might have been stuck with or find new ways to solve problems that we've solved before. This is the sort of creativity that's intrinsic in the human condition and it is part of our self-development as well. So if we're able to harness that for ourselves in relation to those who are closest with us and who are important to us and reflect in a way that says, okay, How important is this action, behavior, feeling to me? How do I make sense of it and how it showed up in the world in this given scenario? And how do I get more of that and how do I use it in a different way? These are key reflective questions that help people identify the sort of trajectory they want for their own growth and development. I was with you at the Coaching Psychology Conference this year and Tatiana Bakrova was Mm -hmm. talking about two lists, simple exercise list what you want to keep stable and list what you want to change. And I think in the exercise she was intimating that we would probably have the deepest connection and value to the things that Mm. we want to keep stable. And I I think that's an interesting overlay to what you've just actually mentioned. So if self-coaching is learning, growing and developing all the time about ourselves and self-reflection, can you help me understand a little bit more about this self-reflection piece? It seems to be something that's at the very core, as well as self-awareness, of being able to truly self-coach. So self-reflection is important because it gives us an opportunity to analyse, look at or reflect on, for want of a better word, how we've shown up in the world. If we're not doing that, we can easily be caught up in the speed of process and the things that we have to do and the next thing in our to-do list and our diary and forget to reflect on what our core goals are, how they relate to who we want to become and make sure that we're using the experiences we're having through self-reflection to tweak them a little bit in order to regulate our behaviour so that we end up moving in the direction we're hoping to move in. It's very easy to just get caught up in doing. Without self-reflection, we can't develop any insight to what we're doing and how we're showing up in the world. (laughs) 
So what's an example of a self-reflective practice? I know my personal one that I've got in the morning, you know, shower, in I go, shower at night, post-day reflection. What's an example you're thinking for more broadly for people? Is it diaries? What happens? Yeah, look, diaries is often one that people um, use or can utilise. Sometimes even just journaling around how your week's been, that can be helpful as well. Journaling has been shown to be very effective for mental health and all sorts of different things, particularly change and development. However, when I think of self-reflection, I think it's important to not make it too onerous, not make it too difficult. Just having a couple of key questions that are related to the things that you want to change. Say, for example, you wanted to be spending more positive time with the family. And I put positive there on purpose because just spending more negative time with the family isn't really helpful. So if you want to make it a better experience, you shape it a little bit by adding an emotion in there. You might have a key question around having more positive time with the family and then you use that key question to ask yourself, to what degree over the last few days have I increased the amount of positive time I've had with my family? And if you can identify that, it gives you some experience that you're moving in the right direction. And if you're finding that you haven't improved things, you can set some goals or some activities that are integrated in your week, that are easy to do, that are not too onerous, like, for example, just having a particular conversation in the morning or walking the dog with your son or whatever it might be, it has to be related to your goal and the activity has to be something that you can do easily and fit into your life. That's a very powerful point and I want to explore this idea of the integrated to your goals because it's linked to something much more purposeful than showing up in a positive way. Mm. Uh, that sounds like a nice goal but actually what you're talking about it, it links to your very sense of self and who you are and how you show up and how pleased you may be with yourself and your confidence and impact and all of those other things. So thinking about that, one of the things that can be quite useful is having a sort of hierarchy of goals. Okay. This is the idea that we might have some value or purpose or high level direction that we're trying to work towards or move towards. Sticking with the example so far is the idea that we're, we're working towards a more positive family life because we want to be a better father or whatever it might be, right? Having that high level goal that you might have sub goals underneath and then action steps that sit underneath those. Now, if you're reflecting on that high-level purpose to create a better uh, family environment, for example, then you can carefully and quite easily reflect on how your behaviours over the last week or few days have contributed to that overall goal. And there's lots of different things that can fit under that. That means that there's a whole gamut of potential activities that you can fit into your life that could help move you towards that goal. And the thing with goals is if you've got small steps that help you iteratively move towards the larger goal, then they work together over the longer term to help you achieve that. And they also help remind you that you've had some success, which is important because it helps to keep you on the track of the personal development. And again, back to your point, not too onerous. So chunking them down and breaking them into small pieces. I said before, there is a mm. lot of a push uh, externally. You talked about internal and external. A lot of push for people externally to be different and be better from, you know, media sources. But also at work, Sean, we're talking about coaching ourselves at work. And if someone gives me feedback and telling me to be different things and yet I don't want to be that internally, that would be quite a conflict really, wouldn't it? 
How do you coach yourself through something like that? Great question. So workplace is complex and the reason why we all work and ha- even have societies is that we're really attuned to the importance of relatedness, right? We want to have good positive relationships at work. Work environments give us an opportunity to do that. It helps fulfill some of the basic needs that we have as humans. Now, when we're trying to coach ourselves and if we're getting feedback around um, our own behavior and it might be inconsistent with what we think of ourselves, it's important to have a bit of reflection on that and think, okay, so what could I be doing that means I'm showing up in a different way from how I see myself? Because sometimes our behaviors can be quite inconsistent with what we think or how we think we are behaving. Mm. And that inconsistency can be reflected through the feedback of others. But that's only one potential explanation. Another explanation could be that the person that we're getting feedback from hasn't had the opportunity to see us how we want to be seen in the workplace. So it can be a little bit about visibility. Are you using your opportunities to put your best foot forward so you can be seen in the light that you want to be seen in? It's about managing perceptions in a way or making sure you're putting your best foot forward. Mm. Another explanation could be that when we're receiving feedback that's inconsistent with how we think about ourselves, it might not be so much about us. It could be a little bit about them. Sometimes people need to see the world in a certain way or see others in a certain way in order to defend or protect something that might not be as secure within themselves. So from a self-development, self-coaching perspective, it might be important to ask yourself the question, okay, so why is this other person showing up in this way? Why might it be the case that they need to see me in this way? What is it that I could be empathetic about or understanding about in order to engage a different relationship with them so that they can see me a little bit differently? Sean, you taught me a question once that's been really useful both for me personally and with my clients. And that question was, what's going on in the system that may be helping or causing that person to behave like that or your experience to be of them like that? And those other questions you've just given us are really, really powerful, reflective questions. Now, I'm conscious we could go down a rabbit hole of questions we ask ourselves every night and be up till midnight answering each of those. And you said that can't be too onerous. So what are some of these ideas of starting off self-coaching? It sounds to me like many of us might do it anyway without knowing what it is. Yeah, that's right. I think a lot of us do. And people have different levels of how much they personally engage with self-development. But regardless of whether you find it's important or not, it is happening for you. It's happening all the time. It's just a choice about becoming more conscious around whether you choose to help direct it a little bit and get the most out of it that you can. It sounds like a discipline to me. Yeah, a little bit of a discipline. But I think firstly, it's about having some regularity. And the regularity, the most easiest way to have regularity is to make it consistent with something that you already do. So for example, if you've got a a certain drive to work or you've got maybe an exercise activity that you do or something that you do regularly throughout the week, a couple of times a week, you can use that for your self-reflection moment. Now, having that consistent question you ask yourself, that's easy to remember and important for you. And just having that bit of time to start to create a habit and a regularity out of that process. Have you got a question you ask yourself? I regularly have over every three months, I have like a full self-reflective review. And that might be based on my clients, um, my development as a coach, 
and my sort of career and personal life development. I reflect over all the notes of taking bits and pieces I've done and I set like a key area of development for myself for the next three months. And through that, I use a lot of the time that I have with my clients and working in this space to construct questions that are relevant at the time for that. So for me at the moment, the latest one, because it's just happened recently, is to what degree is what I'm doing contributing to my physical health as well as my mental health. So for me at the moment, I've noticed in lockup in COVID that I haven't really had much time to exercise. I live in Zoom, basically one of the Muppets. <laughs> um, so I need to make a conscious effort to manage my physical health as well. And it's becoming more important to me as my younger son gets a bit older, right? So what I do then is I shape that three months around focusing on those things and then I reset after that three months. And I tend to do it on a Friday morning. I have a regular slot that I bank out for myself, just like I would for one of my clients or one of my work colleagues. And I spend that time reflecting on the week or the two weeks that have gone prior. But I find that in my head, I'm asking lots of questions all the time. It's great to hear that someone who teaches coaching at such an elite level is able to then demonstrate those very practices that we all need to pick up on. I have a question about the voice in our head, the one that's not unconditionally self-accepting, the one that is conditional, the one that says you should have done that, you shouldn't do that, you're a failure because you got that feedback. Now, I don't know if your voice actually ever appears for you or you've trained it out of you, but so many of us do have that voice that appears at times and many of our clients do. So can we self-coach if we have that conditional so, nature of self? I'm so glad you said that, Margie. I thought it was just me. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's important to listen to but not to give too much airtime. So often the negative self-ruminative uh, voice in our minds, the one that's a little bit harsh, and a little bit nasty at times. It can highlight things that are important to us, but we need to shape those cognitions. Okay, that means a lot to me because this idea of it's got a data point, it's actually useful in some mm. ways. It's not like we would need to shut it down completely. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. For the most of us who are generally mentally well, and this hasn't become a big issue for us from a mental health perspective, we all have this sort of voice in our minds that's a bit self-berating and, and a bit harsh towards us. Now, it may be that way because there's something important that has been negated in our lives or something that we're not paying attention to or something we feel strongly about that we haven't done the best or to the best of our abilities. So the important thing is to not let that negativity shape that cognition for the longer term. So it can be about asking yourself, what is it trying to tell me and what's the positive side of that? So if you say, if the voice in your head is saying, damn, I really should have done that better, that was a terrible way to run that meeting, for example, then we might start to think to ourselves, okay, so that tells me that I want to run meetings in a better way. What would a better way look like? Okay, so that's a very good coaching technique to use on self. So mm. you've got the data point and then you're reframing the question and then you're looking and exploring the options around what it is you really want to achieve not ruminating on that 
conditional self. Yeah, definitely. And if you and if we want to work harder at um, shaping these cognitions, one of the th- ways to take the power away from them is to write them down. The way they get us is we don't listen to them, but we hear them. So explain that to me. Okay, so if we're just hearing them, they're going around and around in our heads. They're the noise in the background and they're affecting our experience. If we listen to them, what we do is we take the power of them just ticking over in the background and potentially becoming harmful ruminations for us. If we listen to them, we can write them down and then we can analyse them and we can pay attention to what they're trying to tell us and then we reduce some of their power. By doing that, they become active in a way we can take action on. And when we can take action on, we resolve them so there's no need for us to tell ourselves these things anymore. And then it's a virtuous circle, not a vicious cycle. It can be, yes, definitely. It's very similar to the technique that people talk about if they're having these sort of ruminative thoughts and they're waking up in the middle of the night. A common technique is to have a notebook next to your bed, Mm. write down the comment or the thought or the thing that's waking you up and then go back to sleep. Mm. That's worked wonders for me when I've got lots of stuff on and I'm trying to do everything at once, pops into my mind, wakes me up, but if I write it down, I find it doesn't keep me awake for as long. So if we can do the same with the ruminative negative sort of thoughts that are berating us a little bit and giving us a bit of a hard time, what we do is we take them out of our minds, we transform them from cognitions to sentences, and then we can create options from those sentences. So this can be an important thing to add into your self-reflective process. Okay. So you said before, anyone who's mentally well can coach themselves. Mm -hmm. Anybody who's got some techniques, do we need to read something or learn something or we just start with self-reflective thinking and habits? Look, there's so much stuff out there. I think it's important to look at the evidence base of the stuff that you're reading because there is a lot of stuff that you can pick up off the shelf that has no underlying principles or science or psychology to it. But there's a lot of good stuff out there as well. So there's lots of options. However, I think just starting with self-reflection is a good way to go. One of the things to watch out for, because a lot of us are under mental strain at the moment, so it's important to think if these sort of self-reflections turn into ruminations and you're not getting sort of positive change from your actions and they're causing too much distress, then it's important to seek help or speak to a GP about getting a referral because it's very difficult to coach yourself if you haven't got your mental wellness at least up to a baseline, first of all. So that's really important and a caveat to know. Sean, what are your tips then for those of us who are feeling able to coach ourselves and want to get started? What do we need to do? Okay, so the first thing I would suggest, and there's lots of different ways you could go about this, right? But one of the things you could do is firstly have a bit of a review over the last month or so. What things have you done that you've enjoyed and create a sense of motivation for you? So what are the things that are really igniting your fire right now? Identify some of those and what do they represent? Do a bit of a sort of an analysis of your recent experience to identify some of the key values you might have and the things that are most important for your life right now. Once you've got a few of those and you can look at values lists to get words that make sense of this online, but I think it's more important to have a personalized approach. And that's one of the key values of coaching yourself, either at home or at work or at work home, which we all seem to be at right now. But one of the things to think about is once you get these core concepts or values that are most important to you, which of them would you like more of in your life? 
and then start to identify areas where you could build some of them in. Because you're with yourself all the time. That's right. This has been such an informative chat. Thank you, Sean, for coming in and talking about self-coaching and coaching yourself at work because we all want to grow, learn and develop and have positive change. Thanks so much. Thanks, Margie. It was a pleasure. Fast Track was presented by me, Margie Hartley, and created in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer, Tina Matalov. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. To hear more episodes, listen for free at podcastoneaustralia.com.au. Download the free Podcast One Australia app or search Fast Track Podcast.